Welcome to the Real History UK podcast, hosted by Jenna Pateman and Hugh David. Produced by Fordia Publishing, first run airing on the Bunkerzilla Network. Hello and welcome to Real History Season 3. This is our first recording in the third season. Uh, if you have been listening to us before, thank you for being a loyal listener. If you're new to the show, then this is the podcast where we uh, look at films of a historical nature and we analyse the history content and the historical elements in the film and in the end, for fun, give it a score out of 100 <laughs> as to what percentage is, is historically accurate in any possible way. Obviously, it's hard to, you know, it's not really it's a, a fun thing. number. It is. It's a Doctor Who number, isn't it? You know, pluck it out there. Um, <laughs> but in, in reality, it's a, it's a, the, the fun is getting there. So welcome to our journey on the way. In this case, uh, we are starting off Season 3 in the UK Black History Month for 2020. My name whoop is Hugh David. I am your co-host, co-presenter, currently teaching English history in a secondary school here in England. Um, I'm also a former marketer and DVD... Uh, well, marketer uh, in DVD, film, TV number of things magazine editor blah blah and so i talk a lot uh my co-host <laughs> my co-host is jenna pateman jenna hello hi uh so from last time people listened to us i am now a graduate of um ba history at the university of gloucester and i'm now a postgraduate studying queer history at goldsmiths so congratulations that's... it's so exciting i'm i just started yesterday so excellent um, Yes. And um, as well as that, I am a committee member of our, my local HA, as well as work at, doing some work for the head office, uh, HA standing for Historical Association. And check us out because we've got lots of interesting talks on. So. Fantastic. Yeah. So today is uh, to, to kick off Black History Month in the UK. Last year when we did this, we did a couple, two American films relating to Black History and two British films. So mm-hmm. uh, this year we're going on a slightly different um, sort of tangent with a different variety and we're going to start with one of Jenna's favourite topics, which is not <laughs> animation and, of course, specifically Disney animation. We finally got to a Disney animated film. <laughs> Seriously, is this our first one? Yes, because the first time we properly talked about Disney was uh, with theme Sabrina. parks for two and hours. Yes, two, uh, yes, yeah, which people yeah. can listen to. Uh, which speaking of awesome. which, if you are listening to this episode uh, in the weeks after, in the weeks uh, it's been uploaded, then Dr. Mittermeier's book is now available. Um, So we strongly recommend listening to the podcast with her because she's fantastic and buying her book. Uh, And also keep an eye out because she does various talks and webinars on Instagram Live. And And they're free as well. Yep. And other other sort of uh, channels. And hopefully so, she might be coming back at some point. Yeah, because uh, she's talked. We've been talking to her about a number of films. So yes. uh, okay, fine. So you're right. This is the first time. The, I was going to say officially a friend of the podcast. Yes. 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 So <laughs> let me get this straight. You and I have managed to do two seasons of the show, and I've managed to put you off for two seasons. Yes. <laughs> we've managed to cover animation because we got to that in our third episode. <laughs> where I was like, we're doing the censored eleven because I want to educate people about this these horribly racist cartoons and then we've done like prince of egypt mm-hmm. where we mentioned disney mm-hmm. so we've mentioned disney but somehow you've managed to keep me off it haven't tried hard it's just been that there's let's be honest there's been a ton of things to talk about uh, yeah that that is the thing but if i uh, 
the viewers could see behind me, directly behind me, is a giant book collection of Disney books. So mostly yeah. history on the theme parks, but that's because that's what my dissertation was on. So you know. Yeah. So you can fully expect to hear more of Jenna than me this episode, which will make a change for some viewers and a positive one, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so today I, I we're going to hus- look at. Go I was going to say I think my husband will complain. <laughs> that's okay. He's used to it. Um, today we're looking at the Princess and the Frog. Yes. Which, for all the criticism it came in for, when I saw it, I went in knowing very little about it, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed most of it. Um, and, and in fact, I enjoyed it a lot more the first time than the second time, because I was more critically aware the second time. Mm. Um, I think it's still, I still think it's better than Frozen. Yes. Um, I think it's better animated than Frozen. Oh, the animation God. is simply stunning old school hand-drawn yep. um, animation. I think the talking animal side characters are funnier. Yeah. Um, and and also, I just wasn't expecting it when I saw it. Like like we'd seen, I can't remember if we saw this before or after. Ta- I, I know Tangled came afterwards, but I don't yes. really remember which one we saw first. And I just remember thinking to myself, this feels like. This feels like not just Disney revival, so Beauty and the Beast and all that sort of stuff, which the two directors were obviously, they were working at that time period. They're responsible for Aladdin and Hercules and the Great Mass Detective and a whole bunch of other things. And Little Mermaid. Yes, and Little Mermaid. Um, but I do, but it reminded me of a much older Disney, the mm. stuff I grew up on as a kid. Yeah. You know? And so um, uh, the, it has a very warm feel without being and it's not not in a, not necessarily purely nostalgic sense i mean in a kind of very practical this is how we want it to look and mm. feel um so i thoroughly enjoyed the film jenna do you want to let people know what it's actually about so um the princess and the frog is a retelling of the brothers grim fairy tale uh the frog prince um where the idea of kissing a frog and he will turn into a prince came from. Um, in this version, Tiana, who is our main character, uh, she is a waitress at, for two different places. She works hard and she dreams of owning her own restaurant. Um, she finally gets the money to for a down payment on the building that she wants um, until the realtors take it basically take it away from her mm-hmm. and in desperation she kind of preys on the evening star um a frog turns up and as a joke she says oh very funny i bet you want a kiss and then he talks and says kissing would be nice no um i cannot do that accent <laughs> well it's a brazilian actor doing with an indian named character doing a french accent and apparently from a country that is a combination of malta and moldovia so you have yes. every right not to be able to do the <laughs> accent um and he says he's very wealthy so she's like oh this might be a way to get my restaurant she gives him a kiss and she turns into a frog instead <laughs> twist mm-hmm. um we then spend a load of time in the bayou. I should mention that this film is set in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and through hijinks and wonderful music, I guess, and gorgeous animation, they managed to return back to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And they fall in love kind of thing. That is the quickest possible sum up of the story. Yeah. From like Tiana's point of view, because yeah. obviously there's a lot more that's happening, 
and yeah. it deals with the culture it's sort of the culture of new orleans like it takes the highlights like you've got um the music um obviously jazz plays a big deal with it um you've got the food because tiana wants to be own a restaurant um with a lot of mentions of gumbo um and you have obviously the gorgeous sort of backgrounds and yeah it's you can tell that a lot of love for new orleans was put into this movie so yeah um and so i think the so the so the setting is clear the did you um so the time period is interesting because it starts initially pre world war 1 yes right? it's 1912 yes yeah because it's... it that, go on uh, on the newspaper, Wilson wins the presidency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then through what I still think is a beautifully simple transition of mm. her going out of her bedroom door as a girl and coming back in as a woman, which I think is wonderfully done. I think that's just such a, a beautiful, simple, clean transition, but it with also the, speaks volumes. With the title coming up over, the, over yes. it as well. Yeah, and the, but it speaks volumes as to her life. Yeah. You know, same house, same room, etc. Uh, so uh, we leap forward to 1926. Mm-hmm. And I find this interesting because um, this is this is a troubled era in, in American history, and in the South in particular. A and... lot of American history is a troubled history. <laughs> true, true. But I think if your, char- if your lead character is going to be Black American, then this is a really fraught time and place to pick Mm. and so the first time i saw this film i was like oh this is quite daring for disney yeah um not least because even with all the the fun and games and the musical aspect it's a really good musical as well by the way alan menken and randy newman do brilliant work Mm. um you know i'm a big fan of newman over the years, he's remarkable at both his own talent as a singer-songwriter, but also at pastiche, and um, he brings together a number of musical elements that are associated with New Orleans and Louisiana and Cajun music, um, mm. both tw- you know, 20s jazz, later on we get proper Cajun zydeco, you know, we get all sorts along the way, yeah. it's, it's really great, and of course soul music, you know. Um so there's a lot going on here, and I think he and and it's also one of the um, at the time, first Disney in a while that had the actors being also the singers. Yes, which is in very uh, I th- I I like that feeling. I think it's detectable. I think it's noticeable. I think it comes across in the uh, not just in the recording, but in the passion with which the characters are conveyed. Mm. Um, so there is this. So, so, so despite that, but despite the happy overlay, there's all these signs of post World War One New Orleans mm-hmm. being a place that has issues for people growing up there locally. Yeah, you know, um, uh, yes, it looks problematic that she's best friends with a wealthy white family who seem to be perfectly okay with her being friends with the daughter, even though that would be I wouldn't say it's unlikely at the time, but it would be unlikely that having become adults, they'd allowed to still be friends in the way that they're shown. Yeah, but I will also note she didn't have an invite to the big party. No, she has to work it. Before she's invited to come work it. 
Oh, true. Yeah. No, well, I suppose there's that. But then, but then that's yeah. the other thing. You, you know, when we come to the big party, there are interesting reflections of the real law at the time. So, mm. for example, uh, other than the man who becomes the key villain in the film, which is uh, Dr. Rassilier, uh, a.k.a. Yes. a fictionalised Baron Samedi. Mm-hmm. Um, so a typically stereo- a stereotypical evil voodoo style man. Yes. Uh, priest, high priest, if you like. Um, Played by he, uh, Keith David. The great Davis. Keith David. Yes! His Keith David. amazing. He's just, he is amazing, full stop. I just rewatched Pitch Black a few weeks ago on the oh, 4K okay. disc from Arrow, and he plays, his 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 intergalactic imam is amazing. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Pitch I Black. I haven't, but Jack's a massive fan. It's a he- great film, but uh, Keith David is in it as a Muslim priest with three sons doing Hajj intergalactically. Oh, okay. So when they end up on this planet with multiple sons, they watching them figure out where to pray to Mecca is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. That's really cool. Oh, he's amazing in the film. He's so because he's he, anyway. I love. I've always loved Keith Davidson since I was young. I think he's an amazing actor. Every time he's in something, I watch him. Even when he's doing stuff where I'm like, mm, that character's a bit problematic from the director's point of view, but he makes it work. Mm. Um, so he's in this. But um, he the 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 thing is that apart from him, there are the, any black folk at the at the at the at the party are either outsider servants. Or if they are inside, they don't have masks, even though it's a masked ball. Only the white people have masks. Mm. Dr. Rassilier breaks that rule because, of course, he would. And ironically, he breaks it by wearing a white mask, which is even smarter. Mm. Um, but the thing is that the law at the time meant that they black people were not allowed to wear masks. Yes. Uh, also, in, he's in crashing the party as well. Exactly. And I think that's interesting that they bothered to keep things like that. Yeah. I I, I I always feel like the film is bouncing back and forth between the we have to be a Disney film for G-rated Disney film for kids, which which in American terms means don't talk about the serious stuff, and yes. and look we can't avoid the serious stuff, and actually some of this stuff looks really interesting when you look at it through the Disney lens. Mm. Um, and so like you're typical. Oh, like in one of the first scenes, uh, she and Tiana and her mother go straight to the back of the streetcar. Yes. Exactly. It isn't mentioned, exactly. but it's you see a white person in the front reading a, a newspaper. Yes, and they go straight to. And although it doesn't have the sign saying "coloured," it's you know what's happening. You, you know what's happening. Yeah, I think this is the thing. I think um, I think the film is walking a line between being recognisable to adults yeah. in its historical context. And avoiding explaining anything to the kids. <laughs> it's like the opposite of being educational. <laughs> it's like, la 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 la. <laughs> Let's pretend. Nothing to see here. There's no Jim Crow. <laughs> it, right? Literally. That's literally it. That's like the big thing that's missing from all this. Yeah. Are the Jim Crow laws. And you're just like, oh my God, this would be such a difficult time. So one of the things American commentators talked about. So there's a number of things that they talked about this film. And I, and, and I do find it interesting that the process of what the film shows may well have changed because the debate started so early. People com- people made complaints about the film, and our academics made com- comments about the film's concept before mm. it was even animated. Yeah. And one of the things that resulted in was Oprah Winfrey being brought on as a consultant and given yep. a character role. Um, one of the original writers, she passed away sadly, and Mama Odie, who is the good side of voodoo, is partly based on her. Yes, um, uh... 
Pauline Sally. Yeah, so I think it would have been interesting that I think that I think if she'd been alive for longer, that would have been a really important part of how the story went, and I think it would have been different. But the mm. fact is that people then made comments on the trailer, and so things were changed. You know, she was going. Tiana's character was called Maddie. She was going to be a maid. You know, they 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 they, they moved it away from these kind of more traditional standard tropes that would also seem slightly problematic. And I think that's where the friendship with the White family kind of remains from that earlier part of the script where she was a maid. Yeah. I think that's kind of... They kind of haven't completely severed that chunk out, and therefore that's why you and I are sitting there going, hang on, how does this work? <laughs> um, Although Charlotte's just an eccentric girl, basically. Oh, so... they, they, yeah, they make it quite clear that she's just wealthy and silly, not racist but it's like she's um i want to be charlotte when i grow up (laughs) you are grown up shush (laughs) (laughs) yeah what okay well later on i will ask you what your daughter thought of that aspect of the film we'll come back to it in a minute yes Um, i did um i've watched it with her many times including my rewatch for this podcast so yes cool. okay yeah. so uh coming back to the history side of it so so i think it's interesting i think the original author if she'd writer if she'd lived may have pushed harder for certain things that in the end had to be pushed for by having an outside consultant in winfrey mm-hmm. i think the uh i i respect all of the black acting talent involved and the musical talent involved sufficiently to feel that they would not have signed on to this if they if they themselves had serious problems mm. with the narrative, and I think it's one of those things where it's it's really, it's going to be hard at the end when you and I do the numbers because I think actually visually I think this film does a really interesting job of recreating the period. Mm. I like like with the twenties stuff and the nightlife and the clubs and the jazz is like yeah great cool and the clothing choices as well right so now you, you there was a you found um so you and I were talking about this last night because I found mm-hmm. a blogger who does who specialises in looking at clothing in historical films yes and what uh, did you get a chance to have a look at that yeah I did um and it was really interesting because they used a lot of uh, primary sources with it to show. Like this is obviously where Tiana's the for her dresses, the inspiration comes from. Interestingly, Tiana is actually the princess with the most costume changes in the film, mm. which is because int- that you can tell they have fun with the nineteen twenties aspect of clothing. Um, so. Like a lot of the dresses that all the women wear are very much based on the flapper, um, what's the word, subculture, mm. where yes. women would ha- start cutting their hair, sh- not short, but shorter. Um, mm. It's not quite a pixie cut, uh, a bit longer, a very short bob, I'd say. And then their dresses uh, were quite straight down and ended before the knees, which at the time when the flapper movement started was still quite a daring look. Mm. And then you have these sort of bowl hats and quite bright makeup. And it was kind of, it was the era where women had just got the vote so there was a lot more independence starting to come up from women. 
Mm. So you can tell that through the fashion. Mm. Um, Prince Naveen is dressed in... If I say dapper wear, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, can can we just take a minute? I, I know you're on, you're talking in more detail, but if you don't want me just yeah. take a minute out on Naveen mm-hmm. in general. Sorry. So this no 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 don't be. This is just me suddenly remembering something I was thinking last night watching it. So, um, yeah. I ha- there's a number of things I find interesting about Naveen. One is that his there's a really really particular stereotype of the foreign dig- handsome foreign dignitary looking for love which we've seen in a number of fictions, mm. right, in the Victorian era, right? But modern-day versions in particular looking for a way to get in, fit in a, uh, a character of another race. And so you have the Turkish ambassador in the first season of Downton Abbey, yep. and then you have, um, uh, in Victorian romance, Emma, you've got the Indian prince there. Yes. And one of the reasons they do this is because these people are meant to be people who, while they have their own social rules to follow, I mean, even this goes back to, Scandal in Bohemian Sherlock Holmes, where you know, yeah. you know, um, Irena Adler was has her dalliance with the heir to the throne of of, of Bohemia has issues, um, uh, and I raise that because I'm actually reading a wonderful novel from the early '90s from an American uh, author. She wrote, she's done a whole series of Irena Adler-based books. Ooh, oh, so good! I'm so in love with it. And the first book is detailed. The first book is all about. So basically, she's invented her Watson which is an English woman who has a priest father who passes and she's left stuck um, trying to make a life. So she becomes a governess and then a secretary. Oh, okay. And she ends up running into Adler and, they beca- and Adler decides to adopt her and be- they become friends and she becomes her Watson. Aww. And yeah, it's really great. And it's all written from her point of view. And this first book is literally all about how we get to the point where she ends up. I mean, I'm, I'm at the point where they're fleeing Bohemia now after things have gone wrong. And we yeah. haven't even got to the point where she's met Sherlock Holmes. It's amazing. Um, and I can't wait to read the rest of the series. But anyway, um, but the thing is, there's this trope, right? Of yeah. the foreign degree. And in theory, part of being from somewhere other than England or America is, is that in the story, he therefore is able to... Uh, across the legal and social boundaries that they have to stick to, that the yeah. women have to stick to. But at the same time, he is then always hidebound by his own social boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's confusing for me as an adult that they decide to mix it up with Bruno Campos's character. I mean, he's a Brazilian actor, good actor. Mm-hmm. I love his performance as Naveen. You I can think tell Naveen's he's really so fun. Much fun. Yes, and he's also saucy as all get out for a G-rated film. Oh um, yes. <laughs> I, I, I've it's always... not, I keep telling you it's it's mucus. <laughs> um, I I've always had a thing for the playboy that finds love trope. Yeah, that's it. That's what I it is, it. right? <laughs> right. So so he's that. But the thing, what I find confusing, possibly annoying, is the choice of giving him an Indian name, and also when you see the parents. The mother very definitely looks Indian, the father a little bit, but they are from a European-named state that is, yeah. as we said earlier, a combination of Malta and Moldova, which obviously, they're you know, fictionalised. It's like uh, the prisoner of Zender, you know, Ruritania. It's this Victorian fictionalization. But uh, therefore, or um, Genovia from Prin- uh, The Princess Diaries. Yes, it's exactly that. The thing, the, the reason this is problematic is because it allows them to have him be handsome and e- exotic, yes. right, with a tan, and have all the, the white car- girls of, of New Orleans interested in, get, in marrying him because he's a, a prince and they can get mm. their money, theoretically, that's what they think. Um, but it, the, he's got an Indian name and looks Indian and therefore 
New Orleans law would have issues with him on a racial basis being involved with either, depending on what his race is, with either Chana or um, uh, the Booth Girl, you know. And it's just like, Charlotte, thank you. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, you, you think you've made it simpler, Disney, but you've actually made it more complicated. <laughs> you've made it far more complicated. And also, I'm as speaking as as an Indian diaspora member, what's wrong with him being Indian? Can we not just have him be Indian? It's like, it's, it, well, you know, how come he can't? He has to be some European thing. Like, dude, just let him be Indian. Isn't that cool? <laughs> like, I don't have a problem with that. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't get it. Why can't he just be Indian? Oh, I just, I, I, I was really, it's the, last night, I didn't say that the first time. Last night, I literally burst out going, what's wrong with us? Why can't he just be Indian? <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway, um, so I just wanted to put that out there while we're talking about Naveen in that yes. I think he, I like him. I like his character. I think he is a trope that they then give some real depth to. Mm. But I just don't understand the games they're playing with his race. Yeah, it, uh, and his accent is very much and the language. It's French. That he says. It's a French accent. It's definitely a French accent, yeah. which is the joke when he meets the Cajuns. Yes. You know, um, your accent is strange, and he says that in a French accent. That's yeah. that's the joke. Your, your accent is strange, no? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he says yeah. not a lot. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Danza. Yeah, I know, and he's a Brazilian actor. I'm like, okay, dude, we get it. <laughs> I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it makes me really pine for Jean-Claude Van Damme's Cajun accent in Hard Target. <laughs> I never thought that I'd say that because I love that movie, but his How accent about the isn't Wolverine exactly. Gambit? No, no. <laughs> Gambit in general, for me, is a big no. <laughs> I am anti-Gambit in a massive way for a number of reasons, but in particular, because, I'm sorry, Rogue deserves better. <laughs> She's always deserved better. Anyway, enough about my Rogue fandom. Let's carry on. <laughs> we managed to get Marvel in there somehow. We, 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 well, we they don't Disney. They own Disney. It wouldn't be right if we didn't. <laughs> we need to mention Star Wars properly. Oh, yeah, we've we got can... the Trifactor. Okay, I've got a way we can get work there in by the end. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, sorry, where were we? Yeah, so you were talking, when you were talking about Naveen, you were talking about... Um, He's got a very the... dapper fashion. Yes, but, and, and it's quite, uh, yeah, it, it's, when he arrives, it's very kind of Orientalism, baggy, and sort of, you know, flowing, and then it all shifts very, very quickly into yeah, kind of 20s Yeah, he rips it off gentlemen. and it's like, I'm going to go have fun now. Yeah, I'm going Bye. Western now, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really felt like saying, you mean he doesn't have fun when he's dressed the other way? Well, I, I, what I get is that it's more of his own taste. Mm-hmm. So, and he enjoys, because you can see how much he loves jazz and he just wants to play and be part of that lifestyle. Yeah. And so because of that, the clothing of the time is very linked with jazz so mm-hmm. he's trying to emulate what he's seen of it. Yes. So, and he likes oh. the freedom of jazz and the yeah. dancing and the music, obviously. And he's just turned up in time for Mardi Gras because it's a New Orleans film. So we have to hit the sort of um, the greatest hits of New Orleans, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Mardi Gras, the cemeteries. Bayou. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, no, exactly. And in that sense, it really does mimic hard talking because that also hits all the same. Uh, Riverboats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing missing from hard target is the voodoo, but um, 
This one's got the oh, reference of to gumbo. They do, yes. Yeah, yeah. This is you know there, there's a gumbo reference when she recommends Tabasco for the gumbo. Yes. <laughs> I was like, really, you know, like, like, yeah. I almost expected to see a, a, a link turn up on screen on Disney Plus saying, "Buy your Tabasco here." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, could it be any more blatant? They couldn't just call it hot sauce or or hot vinegar or do you know what I mean? It was like, no, to it's me, got to be Tabasco. To me, to I, part of me didn't realise it was a product name. Until no, I, I know, I know, because yeah, I know. The, um, I, it's kind of like Hoover. Oh no, no, I I get it completely, but it's just yeah, it was just one of those things where I was like, really, you know, you're gonna call it by that? You're not gonna go with any of the older types of anyway anyway the thing is mm. it, it, there's only so much you can do um so yeah so so uh and and you know when they when we finally it's interesting that we meet it's interesting that there's two types of cajuns in the film there's the in the 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 um the glow not glow worms the uh fireflies fireflies who are portrayed as obviously because they're disney anthropomorphic characters they're obviously very positive and pro-nature and all the rest of it yeah. and you get when the actual human Gajans turn up they're scum bags and I thought that was a bit simplistic I was, well I mean I know it's a G-rated film but I'm just like you know it was a little simplistic like like even for this kind of film it was like look the yeah. insects are good the humans are bad <laughs> um, but it did to eat the frogs yeah, but it did allow for uh, one nice piece of cinematic nostalgia, which is a Three Stooges routine. Yes. Which was hysterical. <laughs> I did laugh very, very hard at that scene. And I shouldn't really, because it's so simplistic, but I thought the timing and the style of it. Um, and I think the expressions on the frogs' faces are wonderfully drawn. Mm. Um, but no, we're getting away from the history side. So, so historically, it's weird, because the, as you say, it hits all these cliches of, of, of fictional cliches of New Orleans and you're kind of like well this could have been set any time in the last hundred years if it wasn't for the jazz age stuff Yeah, and because it doesn't go deep on the Jim Crow stuff either it just doesn't feel quite as anchored as it should to 1926 yeah it's mostly the aesthetics of the 1920s yeah so um, I mean like, there are some plot points that are around that, like the fact of Tiana's father died in World War One, mm. um, which is actually an important event for black Americans in the fact of quite a few uh, black American men went to serve because it was kind of like how the suffragettes treated it in England, mm. of this is our way to prove ourselves that we are full citizens of this country we're going to fight for our country mm. um and hopefully by doing that yeah. we might get some recognition after the war and that was kind of also this way that the second world war was treated with african americans mm-hmm. obviously it didn't quite work because the um what's it called the um fight for civil rights went on right through to the 1960s and obviously to be honest is still continuing today i mean look at the black lives movement so it's yeah um i i I do wonder if they missed an important trick here because not that every piece of entertainment especially when it's g-rated needs to be educational but i do wonder if they missed the chance to provide greater historical context 
for the kids for the time period. Mm. Like, rather than have the lawyers be... Is it the lawyers? The property developers who yeah, are rude the to royal, her? Yeah, the, uh, the realtors. Yeah, when they're rude to her and they say, uh, they say, your background. A woman of your background. Yes. And as an adult, you just go, ugh, that's horrible. But and that can, want... be, that can be uh, sexist, classist, and racist. Oh, it's all of them. Mm. <laughs> it's, very, it's all of them at once. But the thing is that that will go over the head of a kid, yeah. potentially. And it, you have to kind of... It's great if the kid asks you to explain it. That's great. That's terrific. Mm. You have a learning, mo- a learning moment. Like but... Evie. Yes. But the Not thing that is that... <laughs> but... No, no, no. It's just a practical example. But the thing yeah. is that when you look at the rest of the film... There are other areas where you could have um, provided a tiny bit more context. Like, um, for example, would she be allowed to marry Naveen? Mm. And what does that mean? There's a social element there. And, uh, you know, I would have, it would have been interesting if there were people in. When, so when she's working in the diner, which is just such a great scene because it allows you to get all the famous New Orleans food in. Um, the... And they had... the nice thing with Tiana is that they actually give her some cartoonish moments oh, yes. with the food and stuff. Yes. Normally the princesses are treated like, um, not sacrilegious, but they're no, not they're, they're princesses. To... They don't get their hands dirty. Yeah, they're not allowed to be silly. Yeah, and and that we'll come to that in a minute because that is yeah. a really important part of my problems with these films generally. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I think would have been in, it would have spoiled maybe the rhythm of the music, but I don't see how you couldn't have worked it in with the other customers defending them. Is you when 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 John Goodman's rich white character turns up with his daughter Big for Daddy first. Big Daddy, yeah, that is a dodgy name and a half. Um, and it is mentioned that he's a sugar baron. Oh, I know, right? So he's literally a sugar daddy. It's yes. There's just a whole other thing we're not going near right now, okay? We are staying away from the image of his daughter looking like a full-blown 20s flapper, wrapping herself around him in the car- carriage to say, oh, daddy! Yeah, we're staying away from that, right? And also the fact of his house is uh, in the garden district, which is made up of old plantation lands that they divided up basically for white rich people who didn't want to live in the French Quarter. Mm. Mm. I, I, mm. I've gone and done some proper research. Absolutely. <laughs> and we are going to, uh, you know, we're going to tread very carefully around these things. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so, yeah, but I feel like it would have been interesting if somebody else, if somebody else in the, if some of the other customers had taken offence to her, his, his casual, friendly interaction with Tiana. Hmm. I think it would have been more realistic to have somebody like somebody interrupt the music of the song. Yeah. Right? And and be rude and the other people going defending it. Yeah. Or defending her maybe and and you know, saying, you know, she has the right to be friends with who she wants. I don't know whatever. But but one of those things, you know, you don't have to be it doesn't have to go too deep to not to 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 be a good a positive message against racism. Mm. And the problem is in 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 burying it as far as they have down into a standard Disney format of romance. They kind of maybe like it's almost like they're minimizing the importance of it, even though it's clearly important. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um. <sighs> I I do feel like there is the problem of how much they rush the romance in this as well. I mean, it isn't quite as bad as like um, 
Snow White, where she meets him one day and then he kisses her and they go off happily ever after. Mm. They at least get to know each other. Mm. No. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and he, they both go through character. Well, they both go through character arcs. She realizes she she values him more than just the ownership of the dream and of the dream. Yeah. And he realizes that he is actually capable of doing more than just <laughs> being a yeah, being a goofball. And <laughs> um and uh, and he's actually interested in and the thing I love is he's interested in being her partner, not her he's not interested in being her owner or her domin you know, he's not interested in domineering her, he's not interested in being in charge of it, you know, he he wants to support her. Even like when he says at the end, you know, I'll marry you just to make sure she gets the money. Yeah, to m- that marry was amazing. Charlotte. Yeah, you never hear that. You yeah. never see that in Disney films. I was like, okay, that's great. And then um, when they do open the restaurant, spoilers. Um, mm. <laughs> it's a Disney film. It's going to end happily. You yeah, can exactly. see he's wearing a waiter's uniform while she's obviously wearing a very much the owner's outfit. Well, so, well okay, so this is the thing, again, they don't make clear. Like, is he still Prince Naveen at the end? Like, is he still a prince? The way I see... What I wonder is where he is as a prince. Because you know he has a younger brother. Oh, good so point. So I wonder if he has an older brother who's actually going to inherit the throne. Is that why they're busy t- touring around trying to find him a wife? It's something I wonder. Because, it makes sense. Because they cut him off. Yes. Uh, that's the reason he has to go find a debutant wife. Yes, which, good point. Which is a reference to what was happening at the time anyway with a lot of European countries. Because a lot of um, English and European bachelors were going over to America to marry debutantes. Mm. Um, so white women with money from a lot of the time from slavery um, to bring the wealth back into the nobility because a lot of them had spent it all over the years. And it's um, very much what happened with the Downton family, going back to Downton again, um, because uh, I can't believe... Lord Grantham, that's his name. I was going to call him Lord Downton. Um, (laughs) He's married an American wife and rarely it's actually for love. But um, it was something that was happening a lot at the time. So, and it was introducing new money and new blood into the nobility system, basically. So, so that has some very historical connotations in the fact of he's basically there to look for a rich wife, and Charlotte seems to be it. Yeah, yeah. So, so so, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think he's there's not. There's no concern for inheritance or the throne, all the usual stuff. So if he wants to basically become a practical business husband, he can. Yeah, it, um, it, it feels like he must be the spare. Yeah, yeah. But it's not confirmed. I wish yes. that they would have said something like, just him off saying, well, my older brother can do that or something like that yeah yeah exactly i think it's one of those things that got lost on the way and just maybe is um uh maybe there's an explanation on the cutting room floor in an earlier script piece or yeah do you know what i mean it's one of those things that would just be nice for us adults if it was there kids probably don't realize that it's missing because it makes me wonder um 
if he is the older brother, when his dad and mum die, does Gianna have to shut the restaurant and get off to Moldovia? Well, yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? There's all so, those sorts of things. There's all she's kind not going to want to do that. She wants to run her restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so that brings up a whole other area, which is, of course, um, the kind of general problematic nature of uh, Disney films, this one, in, this one included, which is that for every step they make forward, look, we have majority black protagonists, mm-hmm. lead characters, musical styles, etc. Yeah. The initial positive desire to make the film, it's still three fat old white dudes on a trip to New Orleans going, well, hey! Um, if you'll pardon me being... being rude, I'm being rude about Lasseter and the rest. That's not yeah, fair. I was... Well, you can be rude about Lasseter because he used to be one of my idols and then he, he very much disappointed me and I was very upset when I found out. Okay, but so. but looking at the two directors of this, writers directors of this film, you know, yeah. I'm not being, I'm being rude, but I'm not being inaccurate yes. <laughs> in the physical description. And of course... Well, one of them, one of them is very tall and thin. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the photo I saw did not show. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the thing is that you get you get that side of it, and then you get um, and you have the fact that there was a writer there who passed, and then you get. Uh, fa- I find it interesting that this is comes about in an era when, oh, you know, today. Well, no, it would still happen today, wouldn't it? But this idea that you had to. They had to be forced by public outcry to go and hire somebody of color to get involved, i.e., Oprah Winfrey. Yes. Like. Oh look, we're telling a story about people of color. There should be people. You should have. How come they're not t- there with you? How come they're not there, there with you telling the color? Telling well, the story. it's you know I mean? um, very much like their next film, which was Moana, mm. which I still haven't seen. Oh, I love do Moana. tell. Do tell. Um, Moana is based on Polynesian um, culture and mm. is to do with a lot of their myths and um, around Maui, uh, mm-hmm. the demigod. Of mm-hmm. the land and sea, hero of all men. Sorry, I'm doing a silly impression. No, um, go for it. And although they made a, a Polynesian brain trust, as they called it, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the behind the were behind the scenes people were Polynesian, um, including uh, Lynn Momwanda, who did the music and mm-hmm. sings in it, and mm-hmm. all the actresses and actors are Polynesian in some way, apart from Andy Turek, but he mm-hmm. plays a chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, as John Oliver would say, you know, <laughs> so what you do. <laughs> well, it, it now seems to be a thing from, I can't remember which film onwards, I think it's tang- it is Tangled. Andy Turek has to turn up somewhere. Mm. And so they, um, or is it uh, Wreck-It Ralph? Might be Wreck-It Ralph. Mm. Um, And so he appears somehow in each film. So he is the Duke of Weaselton in Frozen. He's the bad guy in Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, He's the chicken in Moana. Um, Yeah, it it just seems to be a thing now. Mm. Yeah. but the problem, going back to Moana, the problem with it is that it's still directed by two white men. Which, uh, and here's the thing: we're not saying that it shouldn't be directed by the people who have the skill and the track record. Yeah, because because that's these, why it's being directed. These by them. people are 
freaking talented because yes. look at their track record. Yes. Aladdin, Little Mermaid, which was the film that brought the Disney Renaissance back in 1989. Yes, um, yes you've got Hercules, which uh, some people find a bit dodgy, but that was made... <sighs> That was a film they didn't actually really want to make. Um, mm-hmm. They were told to make it as a deal for them getting to make their dream project, which was Treasure Planet, mm-hmm. which is an amazingly unappreciated film. It's steampunk and a lot of fun, and I really loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't do very well. Um and they were brought back for Princess and the Frog. They went on to do Moana, which is, again, it is a fantastic film. And you can see the research that they have done. Um, but it's it, it just makes you wish they brought someone in to do, like, someone to have a co-director title or something. I don't know. Okay, so here's the thing. I think what I'm getting at is that if you're going to tell stories... Okay, do the research, and the research needs to be more than just going down to New Orleans for a decent jolly. Yeah, uh, is what I'm Although saying. Although that maybe that's <coughs> one of the reasons they set it there, so they could go on holiday. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, that's a running joke. I mean, that, yeah. that's like a running. Jonathan Clements has always made that joke about anime. You know, it's it's a running joke that you set a scene. You know, the reason there's a part, half the reason there's a a Hot Springs episode every Hokkaido episode every year and a Hot Springs episode every year, so they can go and make sure they do the research. You know, skid the anime, it's a holiday. It's well, not complete, you know, oh look, we're going to do a film in London. Yay! Let's all go to London. You look at the um, research that went into Victorian Romance Emma. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly, and um, you know. Uh, it, it's stuff like that. I'm mm. not disputing the, the the need to do that sort of thing. That's fine. I think what I'm getting at is the idea that the things they had to then work out to avoid were things that could have been avoided from the start. Mm. If you had people of colour in the room to begin with. Yeah. Where they, I think they did learn that lesson to start Moana as well because they had people of Polynesian culture in the room at the start. Sure. But I'm just saying that, you know, I think it's interesting that they had to learn the hard way on yeah. Princess and the Frog, and that actually I would have been. Um... <sighs> so the other things I think they need to f- they they could have the film could have used um... <clears throat> some further work on still. Um... I think. Uh... I think that so 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 coming back to Keith, what we said about Keith David, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love him as a as an actor and a performer. I think he's really remarkable. Um, there was some complaints made about the his the character he's playing here, right? Mm-hmm. The stereotypical bad guy voodoo man. Yes. <clears throat> and I think this raises two things for me. One is that even though they try and show that there's a good side to voodoo. It very much goes very pure. It goes full headlong stereotype, right? Yes. In the worst possible way. Um, you know, he looks like a pimp. You know, he's a slick dresser. <laughs> he's a slick talker. He's a gambler, and all the rest of it, right? His dance style is based off Cab Calloway as well. Yeah, and Cab Calloway was a dude. You yes. don't disperse his memory. Sorry, guys. You, you know, I know what you're doing, but come on. Right? Um, the... People were saying that. That I couldn't quite see it, but it was a reference to the Mini de Mucha short by from Betty Boop. 
Yes, which is based on Cab Calloway, because Cab yeah. used to do Mini the Moochers. So. Yes, um, uh, because yeah. uh, we mentioned that back in um, the Censored Eleven episode as well. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, um, so there, there, there is that that aspect to it whereby Keith Dave does an amazing job, but I think they could have done more with what he was doing as a bagger. But here's the other part of it. He's, his character says something very true very early on, which is that the real villain is money. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's it's not that Tiana doesn't want love. She knows that she's poor and she needs money to have what, her dream. Mm. And even then she knows the work won't stop. You don't open a restaurant without having to work hard. Mm. But she's up for it. Unlike her friends who are taking the newfound education that they've got and the fact that their parents are now able to have a little bit of money post-slavery with their own sharecropping and so forth. You know, they're going to better education things and when they come to see her and say, hey, let's go out. And she's like, no, I'm doing a double shift over it, wherever it is, you know. Yeah. Um, so she's a hard worker to the point of having too many jobs. It's all about collecting the money, etc., etc. Okay, great. No problem. I got no problem with that. Mm. Uh, in fact, that's very admirable. And that's part of an interesting message for the kids who are watching it, which is pursue your dreams, work hard, you know, all that typical American dream still, stuff. Still, wish on the evening star, but still you have to work for it. Yeah. Now... But then you, but but then that goes again. That 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 you put that alongside this message of what wealth does to people and what they're like, because the vi- the visions of wealth we see in the film are very benign. Hmm. So the booths are very benign. They're not. We don't get to see how they run their servants or their or their their property or their wealth or how they interact with other people of color who aren't Tiana and um, her mum. Yeah, we don't see. Um, we don't see anything more about segregation or miscegenation laws or mm. how people would treat Naveen if he didn't have money. Um, you know, everything is always solved by the words prince and princess. Yeah. And, and like, I fundamentally... So, so okay, so, so problem number one is the money thing. They raise it as... A, the villain makes a good point, but then he turns out to be the villain, and so we just kind of sweep it under the rug. Yeah. You know, clearly the problem is far more integrated into the society there that Shannon's got to face. And it's almost as if the whole sidebar, let's go to the swamps and mess around with talking animals, is almost like a one long big story to get us away from the real problems she's going to have to face. Yeah. And then the second part of it is, is that bec- that I feel is something that is not just this uh, I don't think it is just this film and this Disney film that faces it. I think this is the world. I think this is the vision Disney wants keeps selling our kids, mm. right? It keeps selling us on this BS idea that don't worry about those rich guys over there who you can't touch and can't see. Don't worry about them. It's fine. You just work hard. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. You work hard. You'll get what you want. It's yeah. fine. Oh, wait. You've got, you're now called a princess. Well, you can have everything then. You know, and it's like, <clears throat> there's a reason that most of the royal families in this world don't own, aren't in power anymore in their countries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. The majority of them are a bunch of wasters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much in favor of how, what several European republics have done, which is where you have, um, you make them, you know, you take their property away, you make them get real jobs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you get on with life with an elected government, and I'm okay with that. Mm. Um, and I feel like 
I don't. I will be amazed when we finally see the day where there is a a, a Disney film, and it's going to be like, yes, you are actually a princess, and she'll be like, so what? I don't care. I've got other things to do. Bye. <laughs> Bye. I've got. Th- I, I. I am a feminist, and I'm free and single, and I'm going to do my thing. You know, I. I cannot wait for that. Um, you might enjoy Moana then. Yeah, except it doesn't that... have any romance at all. Oh no, it's not the romance bit that no, bothers I'm, me. I'm... It's just the. It's the social side of it. Isn't she yeah. still a princess? Technically, it's like She's everyone's a always like daughter of a chief. Well, exactly. Why does it always, always have to be the chief's daughters? What about everyone else's daughters? I don't get it. <laughs> Like, like, like this, this literally, like we're saying to, you're saying to all these girls, be, being a princess is more important and the best way forward in your life than being you. Yeah. And the message should be that you are enough. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Sorry, is that too feminist for Disney? I don't know, because I, <laughs> my problem is I love the princesses. Um, yeah, but you'll never be one because to be a princess, you have to either marry one or be born of one. How dare you? I'm totally a queen. No, but that's my point. <laughs> that's my point. It's this. It's this fundamentally outmoded system of genetic. You know, you're in. It's it's an, it's tying wealth to genetics, and mm. it's wrong. I will Sorry, say... it's just fundamentally morally wrong. Who, why do your why does someone's genetics give them the right to lord it over the rest of us? Um, the princesses are made up of those who are born into royalty, marry into royalty, and then those that uh, do a massive heroic deed, which mm. is basically their reason Mulan is one. Not that they haven't got another Asian character to put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm with you on this. Keep going. Keep talking. You're talking my language. Yeah. Um, and it is a shame that every single one of them, apart from Mulan, has something to do with royalty. Although technically well, Mulan gets a medal from royalty, but you know. Yeah, but uh, do you see what I mean? It's yeah. like, like, like for me, right? The standout Disney film of the last. 30-ish years mm. is Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch. Ugh. That's the one. Okay? Yeah. You know, they're a family and welfare and she's a little girl learning her way in the world and she learns all sorts of stuff about the world and you have... Uh, yes, we get the anthropomorphic talking animal but he's basically... Um, alien. Uh, sorry? He's an alien. He's more than that. He's... A, he, he's uh, oh, how do I describe this? Um... Oh, what's the name of the? Oh, what's his name in Guardians? Oh God, Groot. No, 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 the other one. Um, Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, he's basically he's basically Rocket. You know, he's a, he's an engineered killing machine, right? <laughs> and he gets to learn lessons. You know, he's he's like the ultimate soldier, the ultimate yeah. assassin. You know, it's it's almost like a reverse Leon. You know, mm. <laughs> and but. But it's but it, at the end, you know, we don't suddenly go. Look, is it all great? Royalty, we're all saved now. You know, there's yeah. no kind of the messages are very different, and it's. I just think it's the best one. Like the only one that comes close to me is um, Penelope in um, Wreck It Ralph. Mm. She is you know, a princess, for, though. Yeah, she is now. But be honest, she's a punk first. That's true. <laughs> 
she's only taking it on because like everyone's like, "Hey, you should be one." She's like, "All right, fine, I am. Can we get on with driving and cool stuff now?" Well, she decides to be president instead. Exactly, but she it, it still she still rules. So. Yeah, she totally rules. And but she do you then see, goes do you and meets see... all the Disney princesses in. Uh... I saw. I love that scene. I, I still so... need to actually watch stuff. Oh god, it's the be- I on it. Okay, Wrecking <laughs> Ralph two is genuine. I genuinely think it's better than one. Yeah. I love them both. I think one. I think two is better. But I also think that um, it has one of the best critiques of where of masculine modern masculinity issues online that I have ever seen. Mm. Like it's right there, it's all there, it's all there, and it's done at a level that is kid appropriate, but also has depth. It it does the thing that we're talking about here that we say that the Princess of the Frog could have done more of. Yeah, and they it, they critique uh, the princesses and that from what I've seen. So in the they fact have a go. of like, pardon, they have a go. Yeah, in the fact of like, um, <laughs> have you been cursed? Have you been? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, my that that my my favourite bit in um in, in, that is one of the the best things ever is Pluto King. Are you alright? <laughs> trying you, to help you, you guys. Do you need the police? It's so I, I love that film. I really do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it, you know, I I it's not that Disney isn't moving in the future. I think Disney has already done it and tried. And I think because it's all about the money. Yeah. And if it doesn't sell the dream. And they've got the princess brand to think of. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I reckon, um, I reckon that's what it comes down to in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, they will do like a massive uh, at Disney World at when a new princess gets introduced. They have a ma- a huge festival around that princess, and it's like a coronation of her joining them. And pointless. Point of ceremony. Yeah, I know, but at the same time, I can't help being like. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying you can't. You don't have to be. I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm not saying you, you know, do what you want. It's all good. I'm just. Yeah. I just feel like the message being sent is to kids growing up is really dodgy. Yeah. Really dodgy, like 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 dangerously dodgy. Like, why would you bother working hard at school and getting grades and going off and doing your own thing? If all you need to do is marry a prince, or believe, you know, or pre- hope for the, to, it's 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 like, and I say this as someone who loves things like Doctor Who and so forth, right? Mm. And loves, I like isekai anime, and I like the idea of being transported to another world and all that sort yeah. of thing. I'm totally down with that, right? As a fairy tale, as a storyline, I get it. But one of the things I find interesting is when I read online people saying oh if only someone someone would come and take me away i'm waiting for my letter to hogwarts or whatever yeah the need to feel special the need to be different to everyone else and it's like well and i always want to go you don't need to i'm autistic don't wait for i'm the already letter. different well yeah for starters <laughs> right but, but the point is to find is to make something of your difference yeah be the difference be the different you know <coughs> that american cliche of be the change you want to see in the world well, actually, you know, that's part of the thing that they're not selling you in these films. Yeah. They're selling you the idea that if you... you know, okay, Tiana gets what she wants, but if if the prince hadn't come along, she would have got it under her own steam, with her own abilities, you know? Possibly She'd have found with the a help way of to make... an alligator. Well, possibly with the help <laughs> of an alligator. He, Louis's cool. Louis's cool. Um... <laughs> I think it's interesting that they originally planned to have him also be a human who yes. got changed. And you can uh, tell that in some of his lines. Like yes, the you fact can tell. Of how he likes 
human food. There's a whole bunch of things where you're like, he's so obviously that storyline they never quite erased yeah. out of the whole thing again. Um, but I do love it when he gets his chance to be in a jazz band, and then when he realizes the advantage of being an alligator again, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but and the then, thing is that um, his band at the end, the Fire Five Plus Lou. Mm, um, is a brilliant. reference to the band that is on Main Street USA at Disneyland. Yes. Because it's uh, the Five 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 plus two. Yes. And it was actually a band originally started by Disney animators. Well, that's the whole thing, isn't it? You know, for yeah. Disney fans, the film's got loads of Easter eggs. It's all there. Yes. Um, um, yeah, all that stuff is great. References to uh, Lady and Tramp, which also had the same sort of aesthetic for uh, the buildings. Aladdin's lamp turns up at one point. The carpet turns up at another point. Yeah. Um, there's you, Jack Skelton's lots... shadow is on the wall at one point. Uh, you see a lot of my uh, my Little Mermaid. Uh, the little. <laughs> mer- <laughs> oh my God! You on your fandom server now? There's your crossover. You add, give them a home. They'll all come to you. I... This is as I stare at anime figures, My Little Pony dolls, mm. and Disney. Yeah, um, maybe I should take a picture of my study to put on the Facebook page. Yeah, go just... for it. You <laughs> just... do yours and I'll do mine. <laughs> um, my Holocaust books next to My Little Pony. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> because that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am a very, very unique person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um yeah it's um the disney print as being a feminist or, and someone that calls himself a fem- feminist as well i do wrestle with the idea of disney princesses and the idea mm-hmm. of introducing it to my daughter mm-hmm. but at the same time there's no reason why you can't have fun with being the idea of a princess and they've tried to turn it more into like what are these princesses good at like uh rapunzel is supposed to be good is the artist of the group and uh bell is the reader and uh, oh i'm not disputing yeah. that you know they've turned them into a few into a, you know you want your squad goals you've got them yeah i mean they, they, they they've done all that but the thing is that fundamentally fundamentally a princess is someone who is waited on hand and foot by other human beings dressed by them fed by them made to look good by them and is living off parents wealth and literally does not have to do anything for it other than get married and produce a baby mm. that's fundamentally what a princess is yeah Still to this day, like like you know, ask ask Meghan Markle about what they thought one of those. Two, right? God, yeah, yeah. And I'm just all I'm saying is is that you can dress it up in Disney all you want, but Disney's never going to get away from the fundamental fact that they think the the the, the need to have that tag on it, mm. the need to have that tag on it, princess. That's not a feminist reclaiming because no. the word fundamentally means all these other things i just mentioned you can like if you see them trying to feminize uh feminize it um what's the re- eh, feminist it up kind of yeah but that's try- pure, uh, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to be woke yes there's it's commercial but and it's for commercial reasons only commercial wokeness yeah absolutely and i think that's the pro that's what i'm getting at i feel like i feel like i I, I was really hoping that Lilo, Lilo and Stitch would be the turning point, and we'd see more mm. films like that. And instead, it went the other way. I mean, and every just... now and then, we get films that have a little bit of a bit more backbone. You know, I really quite enjoyed. 
I enjoyed Tangled for what it was. I really did. Mm. Honestly, I, that, I thought it was nicely feminist. The uh, Tangled series is mm. a lot better with it as well. Cool. Because um, they actually show... A, um, in the first episode, Rapunzel turns down Eugene's uh, proposal. Mm-hmm. Good. And good, they good. keep a good relationship still. It isn't yeah. all woes me kind of thing. It's just like... Excellent. I'm not ready for this. I haven't had a life yet. Yeah. Maybe down the line. And that is referenced at the end of that film as well. So. Yeah, well, but, 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 but the thing is that the TV shows, up, at least up at pre Disney Plus, you know, the audiences are very different figures from. Yeah. You know, and the promotion is very different from what we're talking about with the feature films. And, and I mm. just. <sighs> I know. Yeah. Uh, y- y- <laughs> I, I think we'll have to look at this another time with with other films. It's, I, there are so so many pieces of fiction, going, mostly from post Victorian times, but even pre Victorian times, where the the need to be um, the need to be not baptized, the need to be given the recognition of the hero or the heroine is based in lost bloodlines or lost families and, mm. and wealth and and we just don't make enough of the stories that exist of people pulling together working hard looking after each other trying to do something for more than just themselves i mean even um, uh robin hood is a lord not until the victorian times Oh, is that's he? what yeah oh, um, he okay. is he, in the original ballads he is a he's a, a yeoman he so he is a, oh, he is, okay he's not a he he's he's a free man he's not mm. a peasant but he is anglo-saxon and he's very much somebody who is further down the rung the social rung so he's free oh, okay. and has his own and is able to own property but he's and he's so he's not a slave or a peasant but he's still not a wealthy man okay. and the victorians deliberately changed that because you can't have an english hero who isn't noble? <laughs> okay, so I learned something new today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's one of the things I love about the Robin Hood, Robin Hood Sherwood as a TV show is they use both versions of the origin myth. In the first mm. series, first two series, when he's played by Michael Prade, he's um, he's the Robin as in the original yeoman. Yeah. And then in the when when he when the, we get Jason Connery, Jason Connery is the second origin story because he's the nobleman. Mm. It's genius because they managed to. They were like, "Well, we've got two different versions. We use them both." You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, it, but yes, no. It's one of the things the Victorians did to a lot of myths is they up so-called upgraded them in the same way that they censored Shakespeare. Yes. They also did a lot of rewriting of classic, not just Grimm's fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen, but they also a lot of British myth they rewrote well, as well to make it more English. To be honest, Grimm's themselves were rewrites of a lot of traditional uh, fairy tales to make them more German and make them belong to German popular culture. Yeah, which is one of the reasons... Because it's a form of nationalism. Oh, absolutely, and it's, it's one of the it's one of the things I love about The Witcher is the way the the Polish author in the books sort of gives you hints of what the older versions might have been like mm. pre Grimm. You'll know you'll read you, you, you know uh, Geralt will encounter a monster and he'll be talking to it and you'll realise that this monster is a version of that story. Mm. And it's like, oh yeah, okay. So if we took out the kiddie stuff, it would be this, you know, um, which I think is quite cool. Yeah, because um, um, <coughs> the Grimm's versions were kind of the first Disneyfication of them, and then I guess. Disney went and 
disnified them, if that makes sense. So they were a lot more violent when they were folk tales, and then they were slightly softened, like uh, the mother w- mother figures were turned into stepmothers at that point. Mm. And then when you get to Disney, then it's even more softened, even though you still have some great scenes of violence, like in Cinderella, with the tearing of the um, dress, which I think is one of the most traumatising scenes I saw mm. as a kid. Um, mm. And I watched Animals of Farthing Wood. Um, <laughs> mm. I loved that. Yes. Animals of um, Farthing Wood I loved as a kid. The only thing I would like to mention before we get off this topic is uh, the dream sequence, uh, which is based on uh, the art by Aaron Douglas. Okay, yes. So there's a number of artists that they borrow from for different sequences in the film. And there's some really nifty references visually for those Mm. who know their art. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've gone and looked at his artwork after I found his name and... Because it is a very 1920s aesthetic, and you can see that uh, Tiana's looks are very much based on, oh god, what's her name? Jocelyn uh, Barker? Am I mm-hmm. saying her name right? I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, a very famous uh, black entertainer, I think, would be the best word mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. Um, and you can see that Art Deco coming through, and the shadows, and. Josephine Baker. That's, that's it. Yep. Sorry. No, it's fine. I just thought I'd double check because I was thinking to myself, is it Barker or Baker? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, Josephine Baker, American born French entertainer. Um, yeah, uh, first black woman to star in a major motion picture. Yep. Uh, civil rights activist. Mm hmm. And was also a French resistance agent later on. Yes. So, um, which makes sense for her influence being seen in a film based in New Orleans with the French sort of thing as well. And Mm. I love scenes where you can see artists of animation playing with their art form, Mm. like that dream sequence, like when they get to uh, bend and stretch the characters, when... um, they get to go all fun and different colours for the friends on the other side sequences. Mm. Um, And you can just tell that so much love was put into this film and you can try, you can see how much they wanted to push um, 2D art to come back again, Mm. because Mm. this film was supposed to relaunch 2D animation and because mm. it didn't do as well as they wanted it, it still did well. It still made back all its money. Um, mm-hmm. it was but just... it was not seen as a, the success they thought it would be. No, and it was released at the same time as Avatar. Uh, not yeah. the last Airbender, but the uh, <laughs> blue... So many Avatars! <laughs> yes. Uh, Dancing with Blue People uh, film. Uh, James Cameron's record-breaking blockbuster. Which is now be- beaten by Endgame. Um, yes. And I happen to be a, a fan of it. Yes, I, I liked it. And you can, I, now I went. Visit, you can visit Pandora at Disney World. <sighs> because, and also the other film that it was up against was Elvin and the Chipmunks to the Squeakquel. Well, hey, that is a juggernaut you just don't want to be up against. And I'm serious, by the way. I am not actually joking. Because I remember when that came out, I remember the numbers it was doing. And I was like, oh, my God, how is it this successful? (laughs) 
yeah. My thing with it is that in a hundred years' time, even though The Princess and the Frog has problematic aspects, uh-huh. it is a legacy film that will last. Well, the squeak will will probably be forgotten, and that's something that Disney seemed to have forgotten with the figures. That a lot of some of the legacy films, like I think Dumbo, didn't do great, partly because it's released halfway through a foot war, but <laughs> the amount of money it's gone on to make afterwards, because it is a legacy film, is bananas, mm. and. I think Dumbo is actually the perfect film to use as a comparison because that's got major problematic aspects like the Jim, the crow called Jim Crow and mm. the railway workers and um, technically alcohol abuse with pink um, elephants. So, mm. yeah, it's... I think that's one way Disney should have remembered it and I really wish they would turn back to 2D animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and keep Pixar as their 3D animation. But mm-hmm. at least they're returning to 2D animation for their properties uh, on TV. Mm. So at least they're doing something with it. And as an animation fan, I'm happy about that. But at the same time, I want more. Give me more, please. I want mm-hmm. I want original Disney style, please. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I would love to have if... Um... Uh, if anyone ever bothers to have a crack at it, and I would like to see a decent movie version of Josephine Baker's life, as Ooh. in there's a TV movie from 1991 that HBO did that's meant to be very good, mm. right? But um, how much do you know about Josephine Baker? Not a lot, but uh, one of my friends at uh, University of Gloucestershire, when they were doing their dissertation, did one on her. Okay, so we're coming to the end of this podcast and we need to do some ratings of Princess and the Frog, but I'm just Mm. going to mention briefly because I think it's worth mentioning. Um, So this is um, Vanity Fair's article looking at the recent book, Josephine Baker, The Hungry Heart, which was produced by her her unofficially adopted son. So Mm. that's one of the, there's five biographies and then there's this one, which is supposedly more personal. But... um, Things to note, she was born on June the 3rd, 1906 in St. Louis. Her family was so poor that she would search trash cans for headless dolls to repair to give to her sisters. Wow. 20 years later, she would be the toast of Paris and girls all over France would play with their own Josephine Baker dolls. That's amazing. Now, this is the story I would rather see (laughs) than Princess and the Frog, right? Mm. Um, The action-packed lover of the beloved, action-packed life of the beloved dancer and singer. Uh, Eccentric, brilliant, Sensitive, erratic, friends with Fidel Castro, Winston Churchill, Juan Perón, not friendly with Marlene Dietrich, Maurice Chevalier, um, and Diana Ross later on. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently she called Marlene Dietrich that German cow. Wow. (laughs) And when she met Diana Ross, apparently she put her fingers into her hair and pulled them hard because she just to make sure she wasn't wearing a wig. Um, But uh, apparently she was... um, she arrived in Paris in 1925 with producer Caroline Reagan and the cast of La Revue Negre, the white socialite's attempt to bring so-called authentic black American culture to Europe. And mm. she was immediately, she was taken from the chorus to headline and she was immediately thrilled by everything. What did I see first? Men and women kissing each other in the streets. In America, you were sent to prison for that. This freedom amused me. In the theatres, women could show themselves without clothing. I could not believe it, so I bought dozens of pictures of nude women. Uh, 19, That's she, how, she, girl after my own heart. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Nineteen years old, she knew this was where she would she belonged, and uh, she stayed in Paris. Um, and uh, yeah, apparently she. So obviously she was a dancer in you know so sort of uh, reviews and strip and mm. so forth. Uh, burlesque, we would call it now. But in addition to that, she was openly bisexual. Uh, she had, one of her famous songs is "I Have Two Lovers." Um, in which she says, uh, in which she proclaims her her, her bisexuality and pro and she's pro positive se- you know, uh, sexual po- positive sexual positivity message. She mm. once said during a German tour, "I'm not immoral. I'm just natural." <laughs> Brilliant. Um, uh, just amazing woman, amazing woman. And then, of course, she ended up being a resistance agent as well. Yeah. Uh, she, the French military intelligence suggested she'd make an ideal agent, and they were like, "Yep." You know, we'll we'll ask her, and she was like, "I'm totally up for this," um, and that's just crazy. Mm. Just there are so many so much. figures that need films. Now, I, I know you can't make a Disney film out of Josephine Baker's life. Yeah, but that's I just meant in general. So. No, I'm I'm saying I agree with you. It's just that we're talking about the, we're doing an episode on the Princess and the Frog. Yeah, and we're ending up on Josephine Baker. <laughs> nice thing is that um because it was the start of black history month as well is mm. that um i read uh evie a book about ella fitzgerald that she oh nice she actually picked up herself because i gave her a choice of a load of books mm. and she picked that one nice. and because i was talking about black history month she mm. decided to take it into school along with a book on rosa parks and they're now looking at that in school which is lovely Excellent. and Good. The teacher seat was a bit like, oh yeah, it's Black History Month, isn't it? And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, remember, I'm the historian around here. <laughs> I'm going to celebrate everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's... Um... Go- quickly mentioning Evie and her reaction to this. Yes, let's, let's, yeah, this is we're wrapping up. So yeah. let's talk about Evie's reaction and then we're going to give our scores. So uh, she absolutely adores Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um she thinks she's hilarious, but she has told me that Tiana is one of her favourite princesses. Good. So, um, because she, she likes how... Why? She says she likes how hardworking she is. Yay, there you and go. And she's got a really nice singing voice. There so, you Obviously, go. there's not going to be a lot of critical analysis at the age of six, but she's she's getting there, so... Yeah, yeah. that'll do. And, that'll do. Um, she did question, like... Um, why is her background why can't why are the realtors well she didn't say the realtors but she was like why are the men being mean to tiana kind of thing so she got it yeah okay and, good so that talk that teaching point actually worked yeah and cool. um it allowed me to talk a bit about american culture and the fact of um Naveen is from a different country that's why it's a different accent mm-hmm. and so there are some for parents making a informed choice about what films to show their child, it is a good film to show their kids. This, yes, it's still got the message about yes, marry. Love is the most important thing, but at the same time, love is pretty important. So it is. No, yeah. uh, no point have we be end yeah. or end all, but um, yeah. Yeah. None of, neither you nor I have at any point in this film suggested that that is a problem. No. In Consider- this episode. Considering I'm a happily married woman. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... Happily married by woman. Yes. And uh, my husband is aware that I'm bisexual. Yes. 
<laughs> the amount of people that ask me that when I come out, it's, oh my God. It's like, no, he has no idea I'm bisexual. We don't sit on a bench and check out women together at all. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> on which note, um, I mean, imagine if they'd done the film and it was a princess, not a prince. I mean, I, I'm up for that. Hmm. I would completely have enjoyed this film if we had didn't have Naveen. We had I don't know whatever you want, Navindra. <laughs> I don't know something. <laughs> and, oh, I did see uh, someone making a. Oh, well, one day I hope we get a Disney rapping princess. Um, oh, hip hop. Yeah, and Star. saying the fact of um, she discovers she can't sing like all the other princesses and is upset by this, but then suddenly discovers rap and she's amazing at it. Yeah, I'd be I'm down like, for that. Yes. <laughs> I would be completely down for that, but I would do more, but just have her decide that she's not a princess at the end. I'd be totally cool. That, that she's hip hop. Why is she going to go? Yeah, I want to. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I am in charge of my own empire. Bye bye, girls. <laughs> Any of you want to record? Come see me. I'll give you a discount. <laughs> so see? she's cookie from Empire now. It yeah, basically. <laughs> Like, like, come on! Don't you think Cookie should be like that's what she that's what Cookie we want. Cookie is amazing. There you go. So, um, yeah. So, what do we think we should give this film? And oh. to remind people who have been listening this far, which film? The Princess and the Frog. Disney's. Yes, that's the film feature. we were originally talking about. <clears throat> what do we think should be the? I um... don't know. It's really hard because the aesthetics save one thing. <laughs> The plot says another, and the everything that's historical is quite subtle. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I've managed to use it as teaching points. And mm-hmm. also because it's one of my favourite films, I'm having the problem of not wanting to score it low. But even though <coughs> this is a stupid percentage thing, and it... It doesn't reflect on how good the film is. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Uh... Um, <clears throat> I think we should consider the 30 to 40% range. Mm. I think 40% is probably not bad. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I think. Uh, there's a lot. Of... The fact that we were. You, we were able to spot. All these historical reference points, the fact that it uses them to begin with, um, the yeah. fact that it, the fact that this is a, that rarity, which is an, uh, an animated film where you and I can pinpoint exact dates to talk about. Yes. It's not often we get told, look, 1912, 1926, have at it, historians. Yeah, <laughs> normally it's just a, here's a medieval random period. Yeah. So, so, so from that, and, and and the fact that they are considering this in in the makeup of the film, I think, is sufficient to go as to thirty percent, maybe higher. Yeah. Um, the fact that I can see the visual references immediately, I think I'm okay to go with up to forty percent if you want. Should we go thirty-five? Then it's halfway. Okay. So thirty-five just over a third. 35% it is. Okay. Excellent. On which note? Yes. I, I'm sorry to the listeners with how long this was. I it's don't. Disney. I'm, if, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> if everyone's stuck this far, thank you for listening. Thank um, you. Th- th- welcome back to Real History UK. Um, 
Joe, uh, Jenna, where can people find you? So you can find me at Nadesco Kitty on um, Twitter. Uh, follow me there, where I am a very shouty leftist historian. Uh, you can find me on the Bunkerzilla blog as well, where I think the last thing I put up was about the Disney parks, which mm-hmm. I put up in uh, conjunction with our special with Sabrina coming on. Mm-hmm. Um which is was actually part of my dissertation as well. So if you want to read my dissertation, let me know. Um, we, uh, I should be putting up some more articles soon. So um, I'm just getting sorted with my routine for the new semester. And also, um, I was on the big stomp for Bunkerzilla uh, just a couple of nights ago. So that's available for you. Um, where I was talking about John Baega's recent comments about Disney and mm-hmm. Black History Month and Black Representation. Um, and the other thing I would love to promote is the Historical Association, which, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a member of, mm-hmm. um, and is, at the moment, due to uh, the virus times, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the talks are all online. Yes. So it's actually a great opportunity to go listen to some amazing speakers for free from the comfort of your own home. And mm-hmm. uh, anyone that follows our Facebook page uh, may see that I am posting our talks for the Gloucestershire branch up on there. So you can come along. So just follow the Facebook group and um, you might be able to go to some interesting talks. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, people can find me at 48 Consultancy on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can reach us at Real uh, History underscore UK on Twitter and Facebook if you'd like to talk to us directly about this or any other episodes of the podcast. And if you like what you've heard, please buy us a drink at coffee.com forward slash 48 publishing. Uh, all costs go towards hosting costs, production costs, subscription for various pieces of software, all the things that make this podcast and some cups of tea and the occasional drink so uh, (laughs) all um, contributions gratefully received towards the forward running of this podcast Uh, thank you to Ian at Bunkerzilla for hosting us Uh, Andrew uh, for um, editing the articles that um, we write and get put up on the site and um, yeah we will be with you next episode thank you for listening we're doing some more black history yes there will be more stay tuned cheers now Bye. Avoisi. Is that oh, how you say it? Uh, say what? Um, how Naveen says it. I can't remember how he says it, but it should, it, it, whatever tried. it is, it, it, you tried. So did he. Au <laughs> revoir, <laughs> let's say that. Au revoir, a bientôt, which is what they used to say at the end of the Mysterious Cities of Gold. Oh, okay. At the end of the documentary bit, every episode, you'd go, au revoir, okay. a bientôt, which means until the next time. Okay, we're saying that then. We are. Let let let's stop recording now, so listeners can go get on with their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please buy us a drink at coffeecom publishing. Keep up to date with us on social media at Real History underscore UK, and don't forget to like and subscribe.